Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to continue on our series this morning, our two-part series that we started last week. The fruit of the Spirit. Turn to the person next to you, give them a high five, say, are you fruity? (laughs) Praise the Lord. And if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the book of Galatians. That's the book before Ephesians. And after 2 Corinthians, Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading from verse 22, say amen when you're there, say wait on me if you're still searching, Galatians chapter 5, thank you everybody for your patience this morning with our parking. Um, we knew that the council was going to be doing their uh, roadworks. Unfortunately, what the council did not know was that the gym was having a big regional event on. Um, and I didn't know until I came to church yesterday. And I went and spoke to the gym yesterday. And I said, are you guys going to be doing your thing tomorrow as well? Like, yep. I'm like, okay, we're going to have parking problems tomorrow. <laughs> But they were very kind in in allowing us some space out the front there to use. This is one of the problems we have with this place is the parking out the front there. I don't know if you know. The parking out the front is not allocated. It's just whoever gets here first, you know. So if the gym is here first, theoretically, they could have even taken all our car parks if they'd wanted to. And there wouldn't have been anything we could do about it. Amen. So this is another reason why we need to move. Praise the Lord. Get our new building happening. And uh, I had another meeting with another real estate agent uh, last Friday, and we got some ideas and some things happening, and uh, would you see what God, what doors God opens, amen? Amen. 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 That's really what we want. We want God to open that door for us, because we know once God opens it, no one can shut it, amen? And if it's shut and God's holding it shut, we sure don't want to be opening it, Amen. Praise the Lord. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. Remember, we spoke last week at the beginning about the works of the flesh. They have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Verse 25, for if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another or envying one another. And so last week we spoke a little bit about the works of the flesh, which was in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 through to 21. And then we talked about moving from from flesh to spirit, you know, and, and that process that happens where we stop obeying what the works of the flesh is is telling us we need to be doing and and starting to cultivate that fruit of the Spirit in its place. Amen? And then last week, we introduced the first three. Who can remember what they were? Love, joy, peace. Isn't that a coincidence? That's the first ones in the order there in the Bible as well. Love, joy, and peace. And so this morning, we're going to continue on. The next fruit we're going to talk about is long-suffering. That means patience. Everyone say long-suffering. 
And as its name suggests, we may have to suffer for a long time to cultivate that fruit. But here's the thing. The Lord is actually our best example of long-suffering that we could ever have. Jesus is the best example of long-suffering we could ever ask for. How do you know that? Well, I look at my life, and I'm sure you can look at your life, and you can see how patient God was with you. Hello? The fact that God waited, God called, God drew us, God worked with us, God is patient with us continually. Amen. He is our best example for long-suffering, for patience. And, and not only was He long-suffering with us in the past, but He is still long-suffering with us today. Because in, in case you didn't know, this might shock a few of you, we have a problem with our church. You know what it is? It's, it's, it's a, a, a very, I don't know if you know this word, but it's called humans. We have humans in our church. And that's the problem. They're not perfect. And so Jesus is still patient with us because <laughs> ain't nobody in this church perfect. Amen. We make mistakes. We hurt one another. We offend one another. We hurt God. We offend God sometimes. But yet he's still patient with us. He's patient towards us. You know, Psalm 86 and verse 15, it tells us this. It says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous, which is a kind of funny word, but it means with lots of mercy and truth. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, I think it's important to have a quick little discussion about the different varieties of impatience that we can have in our life. Because there's different ways we can be impatient, amen. I think one of the ways we can often be impatient, and I have to admit I am probably the first to be guilty of this in this church, is impatience with God's schedule and God's timing. Hello? Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season. We don't like that due season, because that means the time is out of our hands. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, I want, I want, I want it all now. I want a big church now. I want a better building now. <laughs> and God's like, it's okay. I'm organizing it. Trust in me. Wait on me. It's going to happen. Amen. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. So it's, we, we are often impatient with God's schedule. We're impatient sometimes with God's time. We, we want things now and we don't realize that God holds our future in his hands and, and he knows what's coming down the road. I think another area that we are often impatient is, is we can be impatient during trials. God, I just want this to be finished. You know, I don't know what trials you're going through, but I know with myself often when I'm in the middle of something, it's like, okay, God, I just want it done now. Make it done. Let me get out of the valley. Let me back on the mountaintop. Come on, finish now. And yet we are told to have patience. Look at this. James chapter 1, reading from verse 2. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. 
That's just crazy anyway right there. Count it all joy when you fall into different types of temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's why we have trials often. God is trying to develop patience in us. Amen. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist make full proof of your ministry. Right? Patience. Waiting on the Lord. I think another area where we ought to learn long-suffering is that we often get impatient with one another. True story? I just wish my kids would do what I want now. You know, I, I struggle with this still. Jonathan, can you clean your room, please? Five minutes later, Jonathan, have you started your room? No. Jonathan, clean your room, please. And I've been told that it gets worse as they become teenagers. All the teenagers just look up to the sky like pastor's not talking to me. (laughs) Right? Patience with one another. Kids, you need to have patience with your parents while I'm banging on about patience with one another. Teenagers, young people, you need to have patience with your mom and dad. You know, let me, let me share you a little something. Mum and dad were young people once upon a time too. I know, shock, right? <laughs> so mum and dad actually know what you're going through. <laughs> you need to have patience with one another. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, verse 1, Paul. It's Paul talking. The prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. We are to have patience with one another. Amen? Turn to the person next to you. Say, long-suffering. The next fruit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. The next one is gentleness. Everyone say gentleness. This enables us, and this is something that's not easy sometimes. This enables us to show kindness to others, not just the people we like, but kindness to others expecting nothing in return. Gentleness. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24. I've got a lot of scriptures here, so just... You know, if you want a list of the scriptures later on, I'm happy to give them to you. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to be reading a lot of them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, it says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. There's that word again. Who was that? (laughs) It wasn't my phone. Siri, you need to be gentle. Okay, well, she needs to say amen then. We've got to get her Pentecostal. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And the last one, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that there ye are, knowing that you are there unto called, 
that you should inherit a blessing. Amen. We are called to be gentle with one another. Gentleness. Goodness. It's the next one on the list. Goodness. Goodness and gentleness or kindness, they kind of go hand in hand. And, and goodness is an inward quality that expresses itself outwardly in good works. I'll say that again in case you missed it. Goodness is an inward quality that expresses itself outwardly in good works. Jesus compared good works to being the salt and the light. Amen. <clears throat> actually, you know what? Let's turn to this one because this is actually kind of important. Matthew chapter 5. In verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Say amen when you're there. <clears throat> says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor... Wherewith shall it be salted? It's thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. So, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And as, as spirit-filled Christians, we are called to good works. Good works are the byproduct of our inner goodness. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has ordained that we should walk in them. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We are to do good in the community. We are to do good to our family, good to our neighbors. It's one of the reasons why we've got our, our thing that we're doing. Each one give one. We're being good. Amen. Now, it's important, however, to understand that just because we do good works is not going to save us. We are not saved by our good works. Amen. We don't become righteous by our good works. And we have to be very careful not to allow good works to become self-righteousness because that's the next step if you're not careful. Well, look at, look at me. Look at all the good things I'm doing. Aren't I just a great guy? Amen. You know, the Bible tells us very, very clearly in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His, his mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so we need to understand, yes, we need to do good works. But just because we do good things, we, we, we can't let that make us think that, okay, I'm good now. I'm doing good things. Because there's lots of good people out there. Amen. But they're not right with God. Praise the Lord. That is a topic for another day. We need to ask God to search us daily, to cleanse us that we may remain righteous, pure, and good. Otherwise, these things will go to our heart and will go to our head. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 23, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me 
and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In order, and, and, and I guess this is kind of the final thought as we think about good, goodness and, and kindness and, 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 and doing good works, is this. In order to protect what we do as being good, we have to surround ourselves with good, not with evil. Now, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, probably one of my favorite scriptures. It says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Right? And, and we can set these filters up, if you like, in our mind and, 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 and in our life. And when we're about to do something or say something or see something, just go, well, hang on. Does it pass through all these barriers? Is it good? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it just? Is it honest? And if you can tick all those boxes off, you've got a pretty good chance it's going to be okay. Amen? Amen. Psalm 101 verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside to wickedness. It shall not cleave to me. Amen. It's this idea that I'm not going to allow the influences of this world. I'm not going to allow the things that are evil to try and take me away. Because they will. Amen. They will if you let them. Praise the Lord. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, also gentleness, Goodness, faithfulness is the next one. Everyone say faithfulness. Everyone put your seatbelts on. This is going to be rough. Faithfulness. This fruit involves not only faith, which is believing without seeing. You know, Hebrews tells us faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is believing without seeing, but it's also talking about devotion. Fidelity, loyalty to God, and loyalty to the things of the Spirit. And we are stewards of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, that's about three of us, Brother Gar. We are stewards to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And we are called to be faithful. And it's not a suggestion. Woo-wee. Faithfulness is not a suggestion in God's Word. God doesn't say, well, I think, you know, if you don't mind, if it's not too much of a bother, do you mind being faithful to me? Let me ask you another question. Brother Stan, do you expect Sister Wendy to be faithful to you? It's just an expect you married, right? You don't get into a marriage relationship and go, well, you know, if you could be faithful to me if you want to be. I don't mind, Whatever. It doesn't make sense, does it? it, it just, it's a very simple example, right? But when you get married, you expect that person to be faithful. There's a, there's a high bar that's been set, right? Why would God be any different? Amen. He does not ask us to be, think about being faithful, consider being faithful. He says, no, you need to be faithful. You need to be faithful. It is an expected attribute of born-again believers. Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. It says, moreover, it is required in stewards. Everyone say required. Required. 
doesn't say moreover, it's optional in stewards. Moreover, it's perhaps a good thing to have in stewards. Or moreover, if you got this on your resume, that's a big plus. No, it says moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We are to be faithful. Faithfulness is demonstrated in many ways. It's demonstrated in our attendance to the house of God. It's demonstrated in our attendance to the financial support of the kingdom. It's demonstrated in our attendance to prayer. It's demonstrated in how we read our Bible, in our devotional life. It's demonstrated in our witnessing to others, in our personal relationships with one another. These are all ways that we demonstrate faithfulness. And, and in reality, faithfulness is simply believing and trusting God for every area of our life. That's faithfulness. Amen. Having confidence and reliance in God no matter what the circumstances we encounter. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For He is faithful that promised. And see, this is the reality. I don't have any problem with being faithful to God. You know why? Because He's been faithful to me. You see what I mean? He's never let me down. He's never even come close to letting me down. Even when I have let him down, he still is faithful to me. He still loves me. He still cares for me. He's still there for me. He is faithful. And so when God turns around and says, I want you to be faithful to me, I have no problem with that. It doesn't mean I don't make mistakes sometimes. Yeah, I get it. We make mistakes. We fall down sometimes, but I am striving to be faithful to God always in everything that I do. Faithful in my attitudes. Faithful in the way that I interact with other people in the community. Faithful to what I believe in. Faithful to God. Everyone say faithful. Moving along. Meekness. Everyone say meekness. Meekness. And I think this is an um, underappreciated virtue in people's lives. Meekness is often confused with weakness, you know. Um, but meekness requires great strength. It's humility. It's humbleness. You know, there was an old Sunday school song that used to be sung. I don't like it. I'm sorry. There's a lot of Sunday school songs I like, but this one I don't like. And it says... Well, it says, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. You know, makes Jesus look like some kind of namby-pamby hippie. I hope we don't have any hippies here. <laughs> you get what I mean? Jesus was a man of strength. He was a man of character, but he was meek. Amen? But meekness does not mean weakness. Jesus was not a doormat. He was not a pushover, but he was humble. He was modest. He was unpretentious. And think about that. I mean, he's the Lord of glory. I mean, let's put it this way. If you, were, if you had all the splendor and the majesty of heaven, and you came to earth, would you be happy to be born in a little stable to some peasant family without two coins to rub together? No, we said, well, roll out the red carpet, please. Here I am. Love me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But no. The Bible says he laid aside his glory. Amen. He was meek. 
If we want to understand what true meekness or humility is, and we really need to examine his behavior and his lifestyle. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, this is Jesus talking. He says, take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Meekness is an inner strength that comes from putting God first and knowing that God is in control. Amen. And willingly yielding our plans, our agendas, and our ambitions to Him. And I think Moses is a good example of that. You know, in his time, Moses was the meekest man who lived upon the earth, but he certainly was not weak. You cannot be a weakling and lead several million people out of slavery. You can't be a wuss and stand up in front of the ruler of the most powerful superpower on earth and tell him, let my people go. But he was meek. He was very humble. And we see that in his behavior, amen? Meekness is the opposite of self-serving ambition. Moses had no goal in life except to fulfill the will of God. The man, Christ Jesus, was the same. He had no goal except to fulfill the will of the Spirit that dwelt within him. That was his goal. Amen. And when we mature in our spiritual life to the point that our only purpose in life is to serve the Lord, we are starting to develop meekness. And we are submitting our will completely to the will of God. And God has promised a great reward to those who are truly meek. Amen. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Praise the Lord. Let's talk about temperance. And we've only got a couple more. No, this is the last one. Love, joy, peace. Lost my notes. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. Everyone say temperance. Let's be perfectly honest. This one is not very popular in society today. Temperance. Because temperance involves controlling our emotions, controlling our passions, and controlling our behaviors. To be temperate is to exercise self-control and to exercise self-restraint over ourselves. It carries the meaning of being moderate and controlled in all things, not overly indulgent or given to excesses. A temperate person is a person who is under control. Now, that's not easy. And just, just think about for a moment all the ways in society that people lose control, right? Um, alcohol is an excellent example. You know, it's one of the reasons why I don't drink alcohol. Because when you do, your behavior is impaired. You cannot make good decisions. And you start to lose control. And you see people dancing on tables and doing all sorts of crazy stuff, right? That's my choice. That's why I don't do that. Because I want to exercise. I want to always be in control of who I am as a person, right? That means I get quite a few funny looks sometimes at the Christmas parties and stuff like that. But that's okay. I don't mind. This, this is where I stand. Amen. But it's not just things like that. It's things like our temper. Whoo, good Lord, have mercy. Who here can honestly say 
that they are 100% in control of their temper. I'm keeping my hand down. <laughs> Amen. And yet that is another thing, because that's the thing. We get angry, what happens? We fly off the handle. You know, we punch holes in walls. We, I have never done that, just for the record, in case anyone's wondering. Not me. <laughs> Tried once, didn't work. The wall was a bit hard. I really hurt my hand. <laughs> right? We lose our temper. We see this happen on our roads, right? Someone cuts you off, and next thing you know, you're out the window. You're like, hey, what are you doing? Learn to drive. Get your license and a Christmas cracker or something. Come on. Yeah? Amen? Being in control. Another area which I think we really, really, really struggle with. Nobody look at anybody else, okay? But our tongue. Our tongue. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And how often have you said something in the instant you have said it, you've gone, Ah, that was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. Amen. You see, a temperate person is attempting and endeavoring to be in control of their tongue, in control of their behavior. I think another area where temperance is important is in being in control of your mind. Everyone say your mind. Because what happens when, you know, and maybe I'm not particularly plagued with this affliction, which is a good thing, but I know people who are. And, you know, something will happen and they'll start bringing up everything that that person has ever done wrong in their life. You know, oh, well, you know, such and such did this. And, oh, I remember the time when they did this. And I remember the time that they did that. And then I remember the time 15 years ago when they said this. And, and all of it, you drag it all back up out of the past. And then you also do it into the future. Well, if that person does this, then I'm going to say this. And then they're going to say that. And then I'm going to. Have you ever had an argument with someone in your mind? You know, someone says something, and, oh, it irritates me. And then you, 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 you're not with them, and you think, when I see them, I'm going to say this, and then they're going to say that. And, oh, if they say that, I'm going to say this, and bang, I've got them. Hello? And so a temperate person goes, I'm not going to project into the future. I'm not going to drag up the past, but I am in control of my mind. I am in control of my thoughts. I understand what's going on. Amen. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says, Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And, and the reality is, is, here's the thing. If we are not temperate, we risk self-destruction. And that's the truth of the matter. Proverbs 25 and verse 28 says, He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down, and without walls. You know, the Apostle Paul compared our need for temperance with the self-discipline of athletic contestants. You look at the guys next door, they're all very fit, right? I can promise you none of them are going to go out and eat three large pizzas for lunch. I might. Pizza sounds good. But I'm not an athlete. <laughs> Amen. Why? They're in control. This, this is where they want to be at. Amen. Praise the Lord. Temperance. Last, last, last scripture, 1 Corinthians. And every man that strives for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it. He's talking about athletes. They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. 
I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air. He's saying, I've got a purpose to keeping my mind, my body, my soul, my spirit, my emotions under control. But I keep my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself become a castaway. Temperance. Everyone say temperance. Praise the Lord. All right, we're just about out of time, but let's wrap it up here. Conclusion as we finish up. Please understand, you're not going to suddenly be like this tomorrow morning. It's amazing how many laws there are in nature that correspond spiritually. Do you know when the best time to plant a banana tree is if you want bananas today? Probably about three or four months ago. It takes time, doesn't it? The second best time to plant a banana tree, if you want bananas, is today. Amen? Because here's the thing. It's not going to happen overnight, right? It's going to take time to grow. It's going to take time to cultivate. And so the important thing is, is don't get frustrated and don't feel overwhelmed. But, but go through God's Word. Read God's Word. It's, it's a lamp and a, a, to our feet and a light to our path. And, and allow it to get into your heart and follow it to the best of your ability. And let me, fin- let me finish up with this. Sometimes in our walk with God, it is difficult to know whether some of the things that we are involved with are right or neutral or wrong. Listen carefully here. Some of the things that we get involved in outside of church, right? It can be difficult to know if they're right or if they're wrong or if they're neutral or, 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 or wherever they want to sit on that scale. But, but let me give you some basic Bible principles that might help you decide whether or not you should be doing some things. Here we go. Point number one, is it good for me? Does it build me up? Is it profitable for me? You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23 says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify or build not. Now, if it is pouring rain, right, and it's midnight, and there's no lights, and your car headlights are gone, and the speed limit is 100. Is it lawful for you to do 100 kilometers down the road? Absolutely, it's lawful. The speed limit is 100. Is it wise? No, not at all. And so as Christians, we have to recognize that there are some things that might be okay to do, but they might not be good for us. So we have to ask ourselves, is this good for us? The second thing we should ask ourselves is this. Does it glorify God? Does it point to God and lift Him up? Look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, again, and verse 31. It says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so we have to ask ourselves, is the thing that we are doing, is it giving glory to God? Is it giving honor to God? Is it exalting God? Amen. That's the second thing. The third thing. Is it a weight? Or in other words, does it slow me down? Does it impede me? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, 
Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily besets. There's a separation there, a weight and a sin. And let us run with patience the races set before us. Sometimes the things that we are doing in our life, they're not necessarily wrong. They're not necessarily bad. But they become a weight sometimes. And they slow down and they drag back on our relationship with God. And we could be getting closer to God and becoming more like Jesus and having more of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. But, but we're trying to drag these things along with us. Amen. So ask yourself, is it a weight? And the last one. And this, this is kind of important. Is it a stumbling block or a hindrance to others? 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, it says, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Amen. So think about it. In, in the, the thing that you're about to do, it might be okay. You might be all right with it. And there might be nothing in the Bible that says you shouldn't do that. But if somebody else has the potential to get greatly offended and lose out with God, isn't it better for the sake of your brother to not do that? Let me, can I be really honest for a second? This, this will be a good little litmus test for this to help you understand. Christmas trees, right? Now, don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. But there is a wide variety of beliefs out there about Christmas trees. Some Christians have no problems with them. Some Christians have big problems with Christmas trees, right? And that's okay, right? But here's the thing. One of the reasons why we don't have a Christmas tree in this church is because while some people wouldn't have a problem with it, some people might. And so it is far better for us as a church to go, you know, we're just not going to have it. Because we don't want to cause problems for anybody by just taking liberties. Does that kind of make sense? And so in your own home and in your own house, you can do what you would like to do. You do what you feel comfortable to do, what you feel is right. right? But as a church, as a body of believers, there's things we don't do because we don't want to create stumbling blocks for others. Does that make sense? Okay, praise the Lord. So there are the four things. Is it good for me? Does it glorify God? Is it a weight? And is it a stumbling block? We must learn to put off the works of the flesh and put on the fruit of the Spirit. And this should be an important, continuous, and a fulfilling process in the life of all Spirit-filled Christians. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? We are out of time. Turn to the person next to you. If you got someone, turn to the person next to you and say, are you living in the Spirit? And then say, are you walking in the Spirit? Praise the Lord. Dear Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here.